Hey everyone, thanks for joining us on the Week in Review. I'm Amanda Vinicky. A judge puts a dent in Mayor Brandon Johnson's signature plan to curb homelessness. The plan was a higher tax on big money real estate sales. Now a court ruling blocks voters from weighing in. Governor J.B. Pritzker makes his budget pitch, more spending for schools and for migrants. Maybe some of you think that we should just say, this is not our problem and that we should let the migrant families starve or freeze to death. But that's not what decent Midwesterners do. But critics say they want Illinois residents' long unmet needs to come first. This is Chicago closes for migrant shelters. It's hard enough to learn without being worried about, am I going to be alive to go home? When we say whole school safety, we're talking about addressing root causes. No more cops in Chicago schools, what it means for student safety. It really came down to, is it providing a real true benefit in which it promised to do? The mayor dismisses ShotSpotter, but it's a long and costly farewell. I'm willing to work with anybody. I don't like getting bullshitted. I don't like getting my chain yanked. Especially when it's a chain of dollar stores, now restricted on where they can open. And the White Sox pitch state lawmakers on a billion-dollar subsidy. And thanks for joining us for Week in Review. Our panel includes Brandon Pope from WCIU and WBEZ, Sam Charles from the Chicago Tribune, Melody Mercado from Block Club Chicago, and Mitchell Armentrout of the Chicago Sun-Times. Brandon, I'm going to go to you first. We have fresh news just a couple of hours ago, a Cook County judge striking down a referendum question that had been a campaign promise of Mayor Brandon Johnson. This is a plan that would essentially raise taxes on high-priced real estate sales, be it of homes or businesses, and then use that money to fund homelessness prevention. This is known as bring Chicago home. Mm -hmm. now, why did the judge take this action? First major policy blow here for Brandon Johnson. And it was a big blow indeed. The reasoning is because uh, the Chicago Building Owners and Managers Association, uh, they felt like the question itself, the referendum question, was too misleading toward the yes side in the wordage. Now, Judge Kathleen Burke, she did not give a reasoning why she made her ruling in particular. She kind of walked off after making it. But that's what they alleged there in their filing and making this lawsuit. Uh, so that means that it's going to stay on the ballot. You're still going to see it in, there in March. However, the votes aren't going to be counted. However, there is an appeal process. So if the appeal goes through, still a shot. But the timing here, very slim for that to happen. Yeah, I mean, early voting has already begun, exactly. right, Sam? Yeah. The ball's already rolling. I mean, this, the process is already moving forward. Mm -hmm. So, and, and any thoughts, Mitch, in terms of this is a question that, um, as Brandon noted, you had the, I, I don't even know the fancy name of the real estate association <laughs> yeah. that did this. Is this really finding any sort of legal excuse because they didn't want it? And, and why is that? Give I, us the politics. The real estate uh, industry, uh, they basically pulled a full court press to try and stop this. Um, you know, this is obviously a legal argument based on uh, the wording of the, the referendum item itself. Um, but, you know, the passage of this would cost uh, the industry, you know, by, some, by their own estimates, you know, the tens of millions per year. So they were really ready to do anything to, to, to knock it off. And on the rare occasion, I'm not watching WTTW. I've already seen commercials for this on TV, encouraging voters, saying that it would lead to a property tax increase. Now, Melody, where does this leave things in, sort of, um, in terms of affordable housing and preventing homelessness? The mayor out with a new plan for this, right? Mm -hmm. Right. He just submitted uh, to city council this week a 
$1.5 billion bonds proposal that would go towards affordable housing and development. And so I, I don't think that the lawsuit overall will stop people from you know, going and, and, and voting on the referendum, obviously, if they have strong feelings on that and, and they a lot want of people to put do. it on the ballot, and a lot of people do. Um, but, you know, Brandon Johnson has a lot of other things up his sleeve to be able to provide other uh, other campaign promises that he has brought up in the past. And his TIF plan here has broad support within the city council uh, because it's, it's so different, it's so some would say innovative, and since 1984, we've kind of been stuck on the TIFs. The challenge with TIFs in general, you're limited to the area in particular the TIFs are in for the investment opportunities, and a lot of times where these, these TIF financing districts are, these areas don't really need that infusion. So this time around with that borrowing plan, you can invest wherever you want. Of course, the big issue there, the argument that's made is that's still more debt to the city that already has I was going to say, can the yeah. city handle, because what we're talking about here is a plan that would, as TIFs expire, use the money from these tax increment financing right. districts, use the money instead to pay off new borrowing that would right. fund this one plus billion dollars in affordable housing and other initiatives. Melody. Right. So the the proposal itself is is pitching to uh, uh, residents and individuals on city council that this actually pays for itself. That yes, we would be taking on additional debt, 1.25 billion, and then of course- the Not a small number. <laughs> not a small number. And then you have to consider interest that will accumulate over time. But the argument is that with the uh, about 45 TIF districts that would be expiring, all of that money would be able to pay for that debt and more. So pay for all the debt that's accumulated, including the interest, and then at the end, the, the remaining would then go back to the general obligation fund for the city. So a huge initiative yet to be voted on. Let's move on to something that has been voted on, and this, in fact, was just last night. The Board of Education, by the way, all handpicked by Mayor Johnson, these members voted unanimously to terminate a 10-plus million dollar contract for uniformed cops in schools. They are known as SROs or school resource officers. Uh, I, I want to just take a minute. To, uh, let's go with you. Sam, what are the reasons for having police in schools? Well, this says they won't be allowed anymore, but why would people sure. want them? I mean, just the general idea of a law enforcement officer around in case, God forbid, something terrible or illegal or dangerous or you know, threatening to any students, staff, teachers, anything like that. The officers being in close proximity obviously poses a certain advantage. But the other side of the coin is that, you know, the high schools where these SROs were assigned, many of them are in traditionally uh, black and brown neighborhoods that have had obviously very troubled relationships with the police throughout their history. So, you know, there's a question of kind of reconciling the past uh, and how police have operated in these neighborhoods versus the, the, the present and future for how they will interact with you know, students and the youth going forward. Well, and Brandon, it sort of seems like Mayor Johnson has uh, is made this out to be not a huge deal, continually pointing out that there are only school resource officers in some 39 schools out of more than 600. So not a significant change. And yet board members are saying this could represent huge change. What does this mean for security and safety in schools? What's the plan? So ultimately what Mayor Johnson keeps saying is that these schools will be able to still have allocated financing to have security guards or they can reinvest those dollars towards... So a security guard, just not a police officer. Exactly, which 
I mean, what's the difference? What's the difference there? Are they armed versus unarmed? Maybe that exactly is the difference there. Or you could reallocate that money toward uh, more conflict resolution officers or more counselors and things like that. It's interesting, though, after that school board meeting last night, I believe it was last night, um, I talked to one of the uh, board members who was against SROs being wiped away entirely. His argument is that, okay, when we had the local school councils, local school councils made that decision for their local district. He feels like not every district was going to feel okay with having school officers gone altogether. And he's like, what's a counselor going to do if five of my students are going at it? And God forbid they have a gun. Like, what's what's a counselor going to do in the situation? He feels safer with an officer on hand. So it, there's a lot of passion on both sides here because it's not really black or white, cut and dry, one way or the other, which side is really right. Well, and I want to stay with this a bit and maybe focus on the Johnson administration and how things are going and when we talk about transparency because, of course, this is an appointed school board making a very significant decision and one yeah. of several before an elected school board comes on and also, as you noted, this is a decision that some folks say should be made locally by these elected local school council uh, school councils. Mayor Johnson saying that he, like we've heard from other mayors, wants to be transparent. Yet last week was really dicey. So, Melody, you, I believe, covered the city council meeting and then the subsequent press conference that Johnson held this week. Does it seem like there's a change in tenor? And can you talk about that? Yeah, I, I would say that there seemed to be a positive change in tone from uh, this week to the week prior. I will say um, it was, I, I, although I did not attend the one the week previously, a lot of people, I feel like a lot of us watched it, and it was very hard to watch because you Why? Know, Explain that. I mean, I, it, it was, I felt the same, but for those who don't watch press conferences for fun. No, well, you know, many people. I, right, many people. Most people. Most people um, not us, obviously, but uh, it, it was very heated because you have um, very seasoned, you know, uh, members of the press corps who are asking very pointed questions. A lot of them are yes or no answers. Legitimate questions. Legitimate questions. Um, and the, the mayor was giving the runaround. And it was very frustrating for reporters, some of whom had been um, asking some of the same questions for weeks uh, at, at subsequent or different press conferences. And so, um, you know, there was a, a story that came out in the Sun-Times that, that detailed some of the frustrations of the press. And then, of course, um, you know, meeting Mayor Johnson met with an editorial board, and it was supposed to be on the record. And then there was, like, whether or not it's going to be off the record. So, Mitch, this was with your publication. You're not on the editorial board of the Sun-Times, but what happened with the Sun-Times? Times and just briefly explain this so that this isn't just journalists sort of whining about um, a difficult job. Why does this matter in terms of transparency? Sure. So a lot of time, what um, major officials like Brandon Johnson will do, they'll they'll visit editorial boards like ours um, to discuss different uh, policy issues. Um, but also within those meetings, uh, often our city hall reporter, in this case Fran Spielman, uh, when it's the mayor, she'll she'll sit in on those meetings and, and cover it like she would any other uh, press conference. You know, it's an opportunity to, to hear from an elected official about important issues. Um, you know, I, I would say it's fairly common practice, or if not, you know, kind of taking it for a given that when you go to visit uh, a newspaper or uh, a group of uh, editorial board members and uh, the top city hall reporter that that discussion is going to be on the record, um, and they that will be able to report on it is exactly. the translation versus it being secret. Correct, unless agreed upon beforehand, and that's right. the thing. They tried to spring this on you guys, like yeah. during the meeting. Yeah, they, they show up, and um, the mayor's press secretary decided 
uh, they would only speak if it was off the record, which uh, we did so not. So things ended poorly. Didn't happen. Uh, there's a virtual hang-up by the mayor uh, on via Zoom. Uh, before we move on, just to say briefly, what does this mean in terms of the Johnson administration? We had this difficult week last week, and then, as Melody noted, it seemed a marked shift in tone. Um, where does this leave things with sort of the mayor and transparency and public-facing persona? I mean, he's... 10 months into the job now like you're not new anymore let's stop let's stop acting like it all right (laughs) final word there let's move on to another public official i got back from springfield i was there with mitch armantrout and this is talking about governor jb pritzker who introduced a 52.7 billion dollar state budget he says this was filled with hard choices mitch what hard choices were there you know, there are certainly hard choices. Uh, he called it austere, which uh, is, you know, if you ask any Republicans in Springfield, they obviously don't agree with that. This is the, the largest proposed spending package the state's ever seen. Um, I think some of those hard choices come down to how much to spend on a lot of the progressive issues that he's uh, tried to champion over the last, or, you know, or his first five years in office. Um, just some of the numbers that folks are going to be wrangling a lot over in the next couple months as uh, lawmakers negotiate the, the final budget. Uh, the, the governor's set aside $182 million to uh, shelter and care for the, the asylum seekers who continue arriving mostly in Chicago, um, and another $600 million to care for, for health care costs for undocumented uh, adults who are already in the state. And is that the biggest point of controversy as you see it, the spending on uh, non-citizens? From Republicans' perspective, I think that's their biggest issue. Um, Not Democrats? There's also a lot of intra-party disputes over, you know, whether more of those dollars should be directed to communities that have been disinvested for generations. Um, You know, that's kind of the discussion we've been having in Chicago for for more than a year now. Um, So, you know, they've got two months to sort of hammer out this budget, two, two and a half. Um, The number that the the governor put forward probably is not going to be the one we land on, but... um, you know, that's kind of where he's opened the bargaining. And it's, he did have to, he, he's, I think that some of the hard choices that perhaps you talked about, the governor had said, I will have to cut unless we do these quote-unquote revenue adjustments, which are really a bunch of taxes on businesses, as well as if you are somebody who places bets on sports. I don't know anybody here. That's Does me. that be, yeah, are you going to, yeah. are you going to bet less if this tax goes up from 15 to 35%? Probably not. I have a problem. So yeah, I'm, I'm probably gonna keep <laughs> I think that's what the governor is counting on. Actually, um, is, this is popular enough that it's not going to dissuade anybody. Uh, and also, uh, no one percent tax uh, sales tax on groceries is part of the proposal. Mitch, before we want to move on, though, I want to say what was sort of your overall takeaway from the budget in terms of he used some pretty soaring rhetoric. Uh, is that just this is the time and place for it, or did you see this as trying to be gauged for a national audience? Oh, uh, you know, with JB, you never know. It's usually a little bit of both. Um, Obviously, he's uh, kind of taken on this role as a surrogate for President Biden in his re-election campaign. Um, JB is going to be in Nevada this weekend, uh, stumping for Democrats there. Um, you know, he's, he's, he, I think he really relishes his role as sort of a spokesman for the party, um, especially with uh, the president's pretty low popularity numbers. Um, yeah, I feel like this is very on brand for him. Um, you know, he, he kind of went after uh, more national re- Republican issues in his speech. You know, the budget address is kind of it's essentially the you know his state of the the state 
uh, address. So, so yeah, he, you know, he enjoys sort of being in the bully pulpit. Oh, yes, he certainly does. Well, uh, going to migrant shelters, big source of state funding, potentially or at least part of this negotiations. Now, Chicago has closed four of the shelters that currently are housing, or that had been, because clearly they're closed. They're not housing them anymore. Uh, asylum seekers. We do have the number of individuals down, I believe, 17 percent since mid-December. Now, Melody, why are these shelters closing? Is this something that the city can afford to do when we presumably don't have any other word from Texas Governor Greg Abbott whether more busloads will be arriving? Mm -hmm. um, so the, the mayor argued this week that he is closing those four shelters because um, he says that they are the most expensive to run. He cited uh, $19 million um, would be saved by, by closing those. Um, I. I'm a little interested in the numbers there because two of those are city-owned shelters, so they don't technically pay a lease to be in them. And then the two, the two others compared to leasing rates that Block Club has reported out in the past that are in the hundreds and thousands of dollars, those numbers don't add up there. And so I'm very curious if there are other reasons for closing these shelters. Um, he did say, however, that uh, the city is not really looking to reopen those. Um, but but there's but we're supposed to be having a new potential tax for helping the homeless, this affordable housing billion dollar plan, and more migrants expected, right? So, like this, this how is, does this make sense? I mean, no, this, it, it ignores the fact that like border crossings historically ebb and flow and come in like patterns and large. There's always a large drop off like this time of year. So what and happens to incoming that, migrants? Great question. And it ignores that the DNC is going to be here, and you know that Greg Abbott and other Republicans are going to target Chicago in particular to send more asylum seekers this way. It just uh, closing them and not opening the door to reopen them. I don't know where that math is mathing, honestly. Yeah, and Melody, say, final word here. I was going to say, one of those uh, locations that was closed was the Harold Washington Library. Mm -hmm. I can see wanting to get that back up and running, you know. As a library. At, as a library, as it was before. But, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm curious to see if they'll have to reopen any of those in the future. So many questions in terms of what the future is for dealing with this migrant situation with funding and just on the practical level. But let's move on to something that got a lot of people's attention, and that is what is going to happen with a move of the, potential move of the Chicago. Chicago White Sox, where you have owner Jerry Reinsdorf joining Mitch and I in the capital city to try to seek state funding. Um, just briefly, Mitch, what is the ask? And do you think there's any sort of um, positive reception for lawmakers as we're talking about a quote unquote austere spending plan? So, uh, Mr. Reinsdorf, uh, his idea is to use uh, basically an amalgamation of tax dollars comes out to probably more than a billion dollars when all is said and done if this were to happen. Uh, he was in Springfield this week talking to legislative leaders, basically taking their temperature to see if there's any hope of this happening. Um, but like you said, I mean, it's sort of tough fiscal straits for the state overall, it's, um, which makes it, you know, maybe not the best time to put your hand out for a billion dollars for a stadium. Um, but, you know, the argument from the team is that this is a, a major economic driver. Uh, if they build this stadium in the South Loop, uh, undeveloped land, um, they say they can create a whole new tax base, jobs, you know, all those sort of rosy projections that you get with massive projects like this. Uh, but, you know, the odds at this point of seeing any major dollars going uh, Reinsdorf's way at this point, you'd have to think are pretty low. Sam, I know you're a Sox fan. What are your thoughts on this? Could it be that this is an ask and then when Illinois, when Chicago 
if and when the answer is no, that the Sox trot off to, say, Nashville? I mean, it's a threat that's been made before a few times, and they're still here. You know, Jerry Reinsdorf is almost 90 years old, and we have to think, what is the ownership of the team going to look like in five years, in 10 years? We really do not know. I mean, right now, uh, Guaranteed Great Field is surrounded by an ocean of parking lots. It's very clear that the team wants you to spend, wants its fans to spend money inside the stadium as opposed to outside. So a new development like this is a complete 180 from where they are Counterintuitive, right unless you own all right. the other land right. as the, or the Ricketts do, so that's right. sort of different in Wrigley. Um, the, it just briefly, also, Brandon, the, the Bears also looking for a new stadium, and we have a final answer now on what price tag they will have for the property already purchased, which when everybody had assumed they were for sure going to become the Arlington Heights Bears. So <laughs> what, what, what is, it's now, I believe, $125 million is the assessment they'll have to pay. How much on that for their property tax bill? Uh, it's pricier than Expected. Uh, they're, looking, they're looking at a hefty amount there, and it's, it's interesting. The Bears already have been, ever since Kevin Warren came in, leaning toward we got to stay in Chicago, be on the lakefront. So this has to sharpen their kind of resolve a little bit. Arlington Heights getting pricier than they expected for sure. Still going to have to pay that tab. All right, exactly. we've got about four <laughs> minutes left, so I want to get to Sam. You, police discipline has been a lot in the news with this question over what happens with officers who are going to be disciplined. It's just a matter of how and where they go to to get sort of meted, that punishment meted out. What is the latest on this? The FOP seeking a moratorium and the top cop upset, right? Yeah. So. Uh the system itself is very Byzantine and complicated in a lot of ways, but right now it is effectively paused through this weekend. A couple weeks ago, as the FOP and the city's uh, contract negotiations, or the contract negotiations were in the can and done. However, the contract approval was bifurcated by the city council. The economic package was largely approved. The disciplinary package remains in flux. The FOP has filed a lawsuit asking a judge to enforce it, saying that officers are entitled to arbitration and disciplinary hearings behind closed doors decided by a third party, which will be a departure from 60 years of precedent here in the city. So right now there are about 20 pending police board cases that are frozen. The police board cannot take any action on them until we know what the judge decides this coming Monday. Last night there was a police board meeting. Uh, there were no cases decided, obviously, but Superintendent Snelling uh, voiced some really harsh criticism for almost 10 minutes against the Civilian Office of Police Accountability, criticizing their investigative practices and policies, to which the chief administrator of COPA responded that this deluge of disciplinary cases that has now landed on Snelling's desk is actually a byproduct of the city council's unanimous approval of half of the police contract a few months ago. And this is just the beginning. There's so right. much more. And I know from your story, you reported that the, um, the top cup said, what we're seeing are egregious penalties for extremely minor infractions. Right. That's, that's some harsh words. It is. Uh, it's also important to know that COPA doesn't impose discipline on police officers. COPA makes findings and recommendations. It's the police board and the police department who ultimately suspend or fire an officer. So we've got time to for all that to be figured out. I want to get to this dollar store crackdown. There was a lot of passionate discussion in the city council, Melody, regarding these dollar stores. Um, in so a resolution, sort of an ordinance that is pretty mm -hmm. easily passing, saying 
you cannot come in within a mile of another dollar store, which is effectively a prohibition on new dollar mm -hmm. stores because they're everywhere yeah, as I drive around. Everywhere. Why is this such a, an, an issue that's filled with emotion? Because um, you have a lot of these dollar stores that are predominantly in black and Latino um, neighborhoods. A fantastic investigative report from my colleague uh, Manny uh, showed how a lot of these stores are just dirty, they're disgusting, they're not run well, and on top of that, uh, they have been investigated for um, uh, they've been investigated for like OSHA uh, complaints, violations, complaints have mm -hmm. had multiple fines and violations from the city. And so um, Alderman O'Shea from the South Side very passionately was like, "We've had enough, and we deserve better." And so they're hoping that these regulations will bring the dollar stores to the table um, to be able to, to to basically get their act right um, for the city of Chicago uh, and the aldermen that are frankly just over it. And in our final 30 seconds, I want to make sure that we touch on a shot spotter that has been ended or will be um, come September plus another two months. Chicago going to be, however, is paying $8.6 million for that's more than a whole year's contract. Brandon? Mm -hmm. It seems like they got gypped here a little bit. Because is that what happened? Maybe jumping the gun. Maybe jumping the gun on the announcement. So uh, that's the cost that is going to be right there. Uh, the future, though, as far as what it comes to with tracking, uh, you know, violence within the city, that we still don't know yet. We still don't know. Lots of talk about data and waiting to hear what yeah. comes next. Uh, that does mean we are out of time, unfortunately. Had a great discussion. Much appreciation to Brandon Pope, Sam Charles, Melody Mercado, and Mitchell Armentrout. We are back to wrap things up right after this. Chicago Tonight is made possible in part by the Alexandra and John Nichols family. The Polk Brothers Foundation. Additional support is provided by. And that is our show for this Friday night. Don't forget, you can get Chicago Tonight and The Week in Review streamed on Facebook, YouTube, and our website, wttw.com news. Now for The Week in Review, I'm Amanda Vinicky. Thank you for watching. Stay healthy and safe and have a great evening. Okay, so yeah, shot spotter. What are the chances we think it's going to come back? I don't think it's likely. Uh, but the, the, the key thing here is the, the city hall has to develop some sort of plan to replace it, which they probably should have done before ending it. <laughs> Was this a big flub? Oh, there's, there's probably. Studies, though, I'd say that it is just not effective it's, and does not lead to an increase. So in then, is this a waste of eight point six million dollars? Success rate. Terrible success rate. Why, why spend this additional money? DMC is coming up. Uh, <laughs> there is a lot of that. Yeah, but that's, you think that's what it is. That's two competing questions. The mayor today. hasn't said yeah, it. You think it's ineffective? Why do you keep? Why are you keeping it going? That's that's the big question here. But you got a very busy summer, potentially violent summer coming. Closed captioning is made possible by Robert A. Clifford and Clifford Law Offices, a Chicago personal injury and wrongful death firm that supports free educational initiatives in the legal profession.